Lucy is chairman of the Club Bazaar, but Ricky can't know that, so she cosplays a Scarface rather than tell her husband the truth. Get ready, people. It's time for a cuckoo episode. That's right. It's time for The Kleptomaniac. Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas, and welcome to The Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, comedic, and emotional impact. My name is Dana, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today for Season 1, Episode 27, The Kleptomaniac, which premiered 70 years ago today, April 14th, 1952. So here's what happens in The Kleptomaniac. Lucy is making pancakes, and even though she has three on her griddle, she keeps flipping just the one, like practicing over and over until it gets stuck on the ceiling because she flips it too hard. And before she can figure out how to get it down, Ethel comes in and it falls on her head. And as an aside, I feel like this is like a precursor to the modern sitcoms cold open. Like this has nothing to do with the episode at all. It's just like a super cute and fun bit that gives us some insight into our lead's daily life. I like it. I feel like these little moments add a lot of enrichment to our experience of the Ricardos and the Mertzes. Anyway, Ethel gives Lucy this big wad of cash, which is her treasury money for a bazaar that our beloved Wednesday afternoon fine arts league is throwing. But Lucy immediately has to shush Ethel because Ricky made Lucy promise that she wouldn't be in charge of any more club events because (laughs) because there was an incident after the 4th of July carnival that, um, long story short, Ricky threw a match into a fireplace full of fireworks. And in one of my favorite images, maybe of all time, he had to wear two tiny little toupees where his eyebrows were supposed to be. So Lucy is hiding her involvement in the bazaar and she's stashing items all over the apartment because it would seem that Ricky is the least observant man of all time. Ethel skedaddles while Ricky comes in for breakfast and he adorably calls the flapjacks that Lucy made tortillas, which immediately makes me less annoyed about him and his weird kibosh on club affairs. That's clearly his own fault anyway. Ricky asks Lucy if she has any money that he can lend her for a cab to the club and she says to check her purse, but she quickly remembers the bizarre money's in there and she freaks out. She yells, I don't have a cent, which is a universal indicator that someone in fact has several cents. So Ricky is, of course, super sus, super suspicious, and he finds the giant stack of bills. Lucy makes a very sad attempt to pass it off as her mad money. Uh, It's $200, which, based on our handy inflation calculator, is more than $2,000 in cash. Uh, And when that doesn't work, Ricky asks if she borrowed it, earned it, or stole it. And Lucy decides, for some insane reason, that Stealing it is the best of those three options provided. Of course, Ricky doesn't believe her because he's met Lucy and she's no thief. He heads to work and says they'll discuss it later. And because this is a sitcom, immediately later arrives. (laughs) Ricky comes home and Lucy isn't there. But mere seconds later, Lucy comes in. She's calling for Ricky in this like very suspicious way. And Ricky hides to see what she's up to. Lucy, thinking she's alone, sneaks in some new stuff for the bizarre auction, and Ricky is aghast because he thinks that she's stolen all the items. She has vases and candlesticks and more vases, 
I actually wrote in my notes, is this a vase exclusive auction? There are so many vases. (laughs) So Ricky is devastated. He sneaks out of the apartment while Ethel comes in. At this point, I actually I wrote down that the Ricardo couch has moved over quite a bit. It's like very far to the audience's right. The chair that's usually like between the couch and the desk is by the fireplace. Everything looks really lopsided, which is clearly it turns out for camera blo- blocking later. Um, but it, it really distracted me. It was so off center. It was driving me crazy. But that's besides the point. So Lucy tells Ethel her predicament, and she asks if she can tell Ricky that she's holding the money for Ethel, which Ethel agrees to if Lucy will auction off Fred's cuckoo clock um, that she hates. And he he loves it, and he won it at Coney Island. Like, I have so many questions. I love Coney Island. I've been many times. I've never won a clock there. What game did he possibly play to win a cuckoo clock, a functioning cuckoo clock? The 50s were a different time. Anyway, Lucy says that Fred would never let her, but Ethel has a scheme. She bought a clock to donate. She's going to tell Lucy to go get it, and Lucy will, you know, quote-unquote, mistakenly take the wrong one. Lucy calls Ethel sneaky and adorably pokes her by saying, who do you think you are, me? So now we see where Ricky snuck off to. He walks right into the Mertz apartment without knocking to confide in Fred, which is just precious. I I don't know why I'm so consistently tickled by Ricky and Fred's friendship. There's just something really tender about it that just hits me. I, I guess I'd forgotten about it or taken it for granted, but it just, these little scenes where Ricky goes to Fred for comfort, just, they, it just warms my heart. So Ricky tells Fred about the money and the stuff in the closet and Fred, our resident mental health expert, decides that that means that Lucy is a kleptomaniac and has a disease that she can't help. And then, as quickly as he diagnosed her, he decides it's time to move on, and he asks Ricky to help fix the couch in their apartment. And at that exact moment, they hear the trademark sound of this episode, the siren call of Lucy, Lucy the crook, calling to see if someone's home. And Ricky has them hide behind the couch. So Lucy comes in, she calls for Fred again, she's like casing the joint, and Ricky and Fred watch Lucy hide the cuckoo clock in her coat and leave, but not before also taking an apple from, from the Mertz uh, fruit bowl there. Ricky takes this as proof that Fred is right, that Lucy is a kleptomaniac, and Fred tries to console Ricky until he realizes that his cuckoo clock is what got stolen, and he certainly wants that back. So they sneak up the back way and head Lucy off in the apartment. Lucy's still hiding the clock under her coat. The guys corner her. She's actually playing it off okay until the cuckoo clock begins to chime and make the signature cuckoo sound. But Lucy, ever committed to a bit, says that that's her. She's learning bird calls and she starts to demonstrate these, which really is just her saying cuckoo every 10 seconds. She hums one long note as a hummingbird. She showcases some amazing whistling skills as the South African yellow-bellied sapsucker and the English sparrow too, actually. Somehow she manages to escape that conversation. Ricky decides to call a psychiatrist and have him come over that night. And we're in another scene where Lucy is making a mess peeling potatoes. Like she is peeling these potatoes with such aggression. And Ethel bursts into the kitchen. She is the definition of ride or die. She tells Lucy right away. They saw her take the cuckoo clock. They're bringing a shrink over tonight. And this makes Lucy so angry that Ricky doesn't trust her even though Ricky did see her steal. And she very smartly (laughs) 
It made me laugh so hard. She points out, sure, I've been taking things, but he thinks I've been taking things. So Lucy decides that she's going to show him and that they're going to pull a job as their new characters, Lucy the Lip and Baby-Faced Ethel. And she gets all mob-tough to get Ethel to participate. That night, Ricky comes home with the psychiatrist, and they're not going to tell her that he's a psychiatrist. Like, what kind of plan is this? I don't understand this methodology. But anyway, Fred has to be in on it. He comes in. He's looking for Ethel. While they're waiting for the ladies, they find tons of jewelry in the cigarette box. There's a blowtorch and a crowbar and a flashlight under a chair cushion with the floor plan to the Chase National Bank. Like, they have set up props. They are, these ladies, like, they know how to create an environment. (laughs) And then there's gunshots. (laughs) And Lucy and Ethel come in in these berets and leather jackets and turtlenecks and bags with dollar signs on them. Lucy's chewing gum. I love this. I am in for this. These ladies look amazing. It gets even better because Lucy frisks the shrink looking for a rod. Ethel's wearing brass knuckles and calling Lucy brain. I mean, truly the world building that these gals have done in so little time. I am just amazed. Fred is beside himself. He shakes Ethel to have her come to her senses and all these gold pieces fall out of her jacket. And Lucy takes a machine gun out of this like guitar case they had because baby face is holding out on her. All of this reminds me, obviously it was 40 years before, but all this reminds me of the mob movie in Home Alone. I think it's called Angels with Dirty Souls. Anyway, I'm here for it. But the shrink is not, and he intervenes and hypnotizes Lucy while she plays, quote-unquote, hypnotizes her because she's playing along. The doctor wants to go back to her childhood, and with a wink to Ethel, she puts on this great baby voice, and she tells the story of how she got the taste for stealing. And she, (laughs) escalating her game until it culminated in her stealing a little boy, but her mother made her give him back. Then we move into her adult years, and Lucy shows everyone her purse-snatching collection, including a purse that's attached to a full-on mannequin hand. Uh, At this point, the doctor has seen enough. He says he wants to help her, but Lucy says she's done stealing because she got her highest desire. She goes into the bedroom, and she comes out with a baby elephant from Clyde Beatty Circus. And scene. Finito. That's the episode. Folks, I love this episode. It is so fun. It is so madcap. It's all the things I love about this show. I love mental health king Fred Mertz telling Ricky that if Lucy's a kleptomaniac, it isn't her fault. I love the wordplay we get from Lucy saying cuckoo every 10 seconds when she's caught with the clock to the point that she has this like little Freudian slip where she says, I'm cuckoo. To Lucy as Lucy the Lips saying she shot two people, a flat foot and a private eye. She got the eye in the foot and the foot in the eye. (laughs) This episode has so many great things going for it. And it's a fantastic example of like a beautifully researched parody because I Love Lucy is nothing if not a group of people who know their references. And this kind of parody, pastiche, satire, whatever you want to call it is wonderful because it's playing on a collective pop culture language. These are iconic figures that are in all of our kind of shared vocabulary. Lucille Ball and Vivian Vance's performances as these classic movie gangsters is really familiar. Like we recognize these people. 
we all probably have a reference point for that character that they've created. For me, I see the mafia guys that Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis are running from and some like it hot. Like to me, that's what it feels like. But like I said earlier, the gangster movie in Home Alone only demonstrates how strong this trope is. It's it's this repeatable, delightfully fun genre that we can kind of drop anywhere and recognize it as a group. I'm sure some people watching it saw Bonnie and Clyde or Scarface, the 1930s one, or another comedian's take on the genre. I mean, what did you think of when you saw it? What's interesting to me, though, is that you might not have thought of anything. Maybe you don't have that reference point. And that's something that consistently amazes me about I Love Lucy is that the comedy is so good and so well done that we can all come in from totally different knowledge points and still love it. Like it doesn't require any extra work. You can simply show up and laugh. But if you do happen to recognize what they're doing or know the reference points, it can really deepen your appreciation for how well they're doing what they're doing. But like this episode is just wildly fun and entertaining, whether you know those things or not, whether you care about those things or not. I mean, everyone is having a blast. Like that freaking elephant at the end, how on earth did they come up with that? I can't imagine another scenario where that is the answer to what is a kleptomaniac's dream? <laughs> like this cast and crew is the epitome of that phrase, you know, some say why, I say why not. I swear, just from a writing perspective, it is so admirable. I mean, I think a lot of comedy writing is actually about showing restraint. You know, you have to really know how to let moments build and when to allow pacing to slow and when to give the audience a moment and when to strike with a big punchline or sight gag. I mean, a lot of really bad comedy writers just kind of hit you over the head constantly with jokes, right? Like it really requires a delicate hand to make great comedy. And I Love Lucy has plenty of that. Like no matter how slapstick or absurd they get, they they do have quite a bit of restraint I mean, I can't wait to talk about this more when we get to Lucy Does a TV commercial and the whole Vitamina Vegemin sketch, which is just exceptionally performed, but it's also exceptionally written. But let, let's all let this episode be a lesson to the writers in us. It's okay to go big. It's okay to write the wild version, the version that makes no logical sense, the version that has your professor or your reading group, group go like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Because that just might be the funniest choice. I mean, it was in this episode. Okay, time for some historical notes. So I only have a couple, but um, Dr. Robinson was played by an actor named Joseph Kearns. And he got famous at the end. Got famous. I mean, he was he was known, but he he's most famous for uh, a role he took at the end of the decade, which was in Dennis the Menace. But um for any Disney fans out there, he voiced the the doorknob in Alice in Wonderland, um, which I never knew. And he was on Dennis the Menace from 1959 until his death in 1962. And then finally, uh, Lucy says that her her kind of final caper, her her kleptomaniac's dream, her highest desire, was at the Clyde Beatty Circus. And um there was a, a movie called The Greatest Show on Earth that was about the circus uh, that was released just a few months before this episode was. 
And I've read some I've I've read some reports that don't quote their sources that say that Clyde Beatty was actually in this movie doing his Lion Tamer act. I did, I really tried to find any actual evidence of that. Um, short of watching the movie, like I looked on IMDb, I looked on Wikipedia, I looked on, I, you know, I, I, I looked on biography sites and I couldn't find any actual evidence of that, but, um, I haven't watched the movie. So to be fair, um, but Lucille Ball was apparently offered a role in the greatest show on earth, but she was unable to take it because she was pregnant with her daughter, Lucy. And um, she was replaced by an actress named Gloria Graham. But interestingly, the role that she was up for in The Greatest Show on Earth was a character named Angel who worked in, dot, 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 hold for suspense, the elephant act. So I feel like this is a really fun nod. I- I'm going to decide that this is a really fun nod to, uh, to The Greatest Show on Earth and to Lucille Ball's um, almost involvement in it. And those are all I have for historical notes. Kind of a quiet episode in that respect. So next week, we are talking about Cuban pals. And here's the logline for that. A visiting Cuban dance troupe asks Ricky to do a number with Renita Perez, a little girl he used to dance with in Havana. Lucy is supportive until she realizes that Renita is not so little anymore. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends. These are the absolute best ways to help the show. You can follow me on all of my social medias or make a one-time donation via PayPal via the links in the show notes. Um, As a reminder, I'm looking ahead to summer programming and also considering just some bonus episodes for potentially our regular season. If you ever have an idea for something you'd like me to go into more depth about, please feel free to reach out to me. I would love those episodes to be of value to you. So anything you're interested in is great. And with that, I will see you next week for Cuban Pals. Thank you so much for listening to The Ricardo Project. It means more to me than you know. If you'd like to get in touch for any reason whatsoever, I would be honored to hear from you. You can reach me on Instagram at The Ricardo Project, on Twitter at Ricardo underscore project, and by email at Project at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast and telling a friend about it. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back on April 21st with Cuban Pals.